Let's jump in here. We've got a lot to cover. I've been talking about the power of our words, the importance of our words, the words that we say, the words that we speak to others, the words that we speak to ourselves. That's an important thing in life because out of the heart, the, the, the mouth speaks. And so the power in our words, what we say, what we don't say, how we say it, when we say it, and uh, the exposure to, to who hears it is very important in our lives, men. And uh, I, I've sat by many, many deathbeds in my life and standing there and I've seen people curse and I've seen people pray and I've seen people praise and I've seen people, uh, uh, love and give a, have a life of Thanksgiving and a life of regret. And I tell you, it's, it's through their words that I know this. I know what's in their heart at the time that the time comes. And so all of us need to pay attention. Last week we talked about the sin deadly, the sin, the 10 Curtis, Jesus, help me. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Father, control my tongue. Lord, don't let it be twisted this morning, but let it speak uh, in correctness and let it speak uh, enlightenment and let it speak your truth in your name. Amen. All right. So last week we talked about the 10 deadly sins of the tongue. There, finally said it. The 10 deadly sins of the tongue. If you get a chance, you weren't here, go back and listen to those. Those are very important. You know, several years ago when I was in the military, there was a big boxing match. There were actually two of them that I remember, but one in particular uh, was a man by the name of Michael Moore. Michael Moore was the world champion. Uh, some of you will remember him and a big old stout young kid who was just uh, uh, really an incredible boxer. But an old man showed up on the scene. His name was George Foreman. <clears throat> and George Foreman was selling the grill at the time. Some of you own it, I can tell. But, uh, that George Foreman grill, right? And, and George Foreman showed up and, and, uh, he offered him a fight and they wound up fighting and, and it was an interesting fight because all of us were talking about how slow George Foreman, who at the time I had to look it up, who at the time was 45 years old which he was a young man too, right? And so uh, George Foreman, but he was much older. He was like uh, 20, 25 years older uh, <clears throat> than going into this current champion, Michael Moore. And, and anyway, but when they started fighting, uh, he looked fatigued. He got tired. Foreman got tired. Looked like he was going to tap out. And then out of nowhere, he connects in the 10th round and he hits Michael Moore on the chin, sends him to the floor, and, and even though he looked like he was against the ropes out of nowhere, he still, as, as uh, Sylvester Stallone said, he still had one in the basement, right? And that one in the basement just showed up that day. Then it was a fun fight to watch. It was a lot of yelling, a lot of screaming, a lot of, lot of cutting up in the barracks. And I just remember watching that and just, just laughing and thinking, wow, man, that's an incredible fight. Some of us are against the ropes this morning with our tongues. That's how we feel. Uh, you have something, you have, you have something deep down in you and you don't know exactly how to express yourself or how to express it. And it's known as the word of God because many of us have been reading and studying the word of God most of our lives. But when it comes to speaking the word of God, we struggle sometimes because our words kind of entang get entangled with God's word and we wind up sounding like my children sometimes. Well, it says in there, that's what my kids tell me. Dad, I know it says it. Well, tell me, show me where it says it. Well, you're the preacher, right? You should know this. I shouldn't have to tell you. But, but this is what happens, and I want you to know that this is the way the words work in us, is that when we have the Word of God deep down inside of us, it's like having that one in the basement, right? It, the Word of God is so powerful. It's so powerful, and this is what we've got to see. It, it, it defeats the devil, I mean, when the devil shows up with, to Jesus and, 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 uh, after 40 days of fasting right there in Matthew chapter four, what happens? 
You, you see it. I mean, Jesus just answers what the Word of God says. Man shall not live by bread alone, right? The Word of God is so powerful. And what oftentimes we don't realize we're tired. Uh, we've done this a long time. We've been Christians a long time. We've served the Lord a long time. We've done all this stuff in our lives for a long time. And some of you are new to Christianity. That's okay. That's all right. But as you continue to go and as you continue to drive, as you continue to grow, you're going to find that you can become very, very tired. You can become exhausted and, and eventually start using your own words and not even realize you have the word of God deep in your basement. And God is saying, hey, it's time to bring him up out of the basement. And that's so important for us to see. So just as Michael Moore was uh, uh, caught off guard, Satan is caught off guard many times when we start using the Word of God and the power that's in the Word of God. If you've ever prayed with someone who knows the Word of God and prays the Word of God, you'll see that when that comes out of the basement, just how powerful it truly is. And so that's where I want us to go today. We talked about the 10 deadly sins last week, but today the first place we're going to begin is the origin of our words. Now, I spoke about this the first week, Matthew chapter 12, make a tree good and its fruit will be good or make a tree bad or its fruit will be bad for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, you, how can you be bad for a tree is recognized or you brood, how can a tree be bad? Wait a second. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So right there in verse 37, he says, hey, by your words you're either saved or you're not. That's the easy way to put it. The tree represents our heart. Don't miss this, men, because deep down the tree represents our heart. Our words are its fruit, and the fruit of our hearts are the words of our mouth. In verses 36 and 37, but I tell you that everyone will give an account on that day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. So your words are eternal. We've got to see this. There are no free words in this life. Our words will either liberate us or they will judge us. That's how our words work. You know, you ever judge yourself by your own words? Sometimes we're against the ropes, like I spoke of earlier a while ago. Sometimes we're against the ropes simply because of our own words. My daughter was helping me work on a boat motor the other day, and, and it's hot, and we're up underneath that motor, and we're uh, trying to get the fuel pump off. Finally get it off, and, and if you've ever done a mechanical fuel pump, you'll know that there's a rod that actually slips down, and if you pull that pump out without... Uh, I didn't know there was a bolt that went through the motor and could actually hold that rod up, but some of you know what I'm talking about. And so what we did is we just kept trying to, to find a way to get the rod up in a little one-inch hole, right, and get that fuel pump on there. We finally got it on there once. Once. And I had to take it off. You know what my words were? <laughs> they weren't curse words, all right? And my daughter's in there with me. My words are like, I have to do everything two, three, four times. I mean, I just can't get it right the first time. How come I can't ever get it right? And then when Bill comes over and helps me and we have the wrong fuel pump anyway, but still, right? <laughs> and, and now we've got several times to go over and do this. Guys, our words will put us on the ropes. There's no doubt as well. Sometimes our, our, we literally judge ourselves by the words that we speak over ourselves. Verse 37, for by your words you will be acquitted or by your words you will be condemned. You will use your words many times for this condemnation purpose. There is power in the words that you say, men. There will always be power in the words that you say. When you tell your wife you love her and you mean it out of the heart, right? The mouth speaks. There's power in those words. 
The first time you told her you loved her, the first time she said she loved you, or maybe she hasn't yet, we'll keep giving her some good words. All right, man. All right, verse 43, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. See, what we treasure in our heart bears fruit, and that is what comes out of our lives. You hear it in our words. So in Matthew 6, 21, he says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So the question probably that we should be asking ourselves about the words we speak is truly this. What are we pondering in our heart? What do we dwell on throughout the day? What are you storing up there? What are the words that come out of your mouth reveal concerning your heart? What is your self-talking expression? In other words, what does my self-talk sound like? Do we ever say, oh man, ah, mash my finger. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. How many of us throw that one out there? It's the truth. It's the word of God, but it's sometimes not the first thing that comes from our mouth simply because it's deeply embedded in our heart. And what's deeply embedded in our heart, look, needs to bear fruit. It needs to be growing. It needs to be reaching the surface. And the surface of our lives is our mouth. That's it. I'm going to wrap this thing up, okay, in just a moment. See, when we establish our words in the word of God, when our words represent the word of God, what happens is life, not death, is what comes out. And many of us speak death over ourselves instead of speaking life. Well, geez, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Really? That's all you are? You're just a sinner? Come on, man. That's not what the scripture calls you. The scripture says you're a child of the king. He says you're the priesthood of all believers. Don't make me chase that one. We'll really get things stirred up. And matter, and matter of fact, this is what David did in Psalm 45. He stirred it up. He said, my heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. You are the most excellent of men, and your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever. You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about himself. And he's not talking about himself because he's conceited. He's saying, this is who I am in my God. And yes, he does say, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew in me a steadfast spirit. And yes, there are all kinds of Psalms where David is mourning and he's pinning all of the things that he's mourning about. And he did have an affair and he had Bathsheba and he had a son and the son died. I mean, you can go on and on and on. You can see his lamentations as well. But listen, men, the truth is David knew he, who he was in God and God spoke and said, not only in the Old Testament, in the New Testament too, that he is a man after my own heart. He's still after the heart of God. Yeah, there's some flesh things that show up. There's some things that happen. There's some things that he did. He wasn't allowed to build the temple. My, my, uh, which one was I talking to? I get my kids mixed up. I got so many of them. It was Bethany who came to me the other day and she said, Dad, how come David wasn't allowed to build the temple? I said, well, let's talk about why David couldn't build the temple, babe. He was a man after God's own heart. The scripture says he shed too much blood with his hands. So there was some unnecessary things, some unnecessary lives. She said, that's pretty major. I said, it is, especially in our eyes today, right? But he's still a man after God's own heart. Let's keep going. All right. So men, we have to learn to get off the ropes. I shared the, the cool story about George Foreman. He had to get off the grill, right? We'll talk a little bit more about the grill, uh, but before he fought Michael Moore. But here's the truth. The truth is I want to give you five ways today to get off the ropes. All right. Number one, Number one, you got to learn to restore your heart. Repentance is a gift. Repentance leads, leads us to a place of restoration. And so uh, too many times in church, we walk away from what it means to repent. And the reason why we've walked away from repentance, men, is because we no longer have a healthy fear of the Lord. Man, I need to preach this on Sunday morning. 
because we no longer really have a healthy fear of the Lord in American Christianity. We do what we do. We say what we say. We live how we want. It's more about me than it is about them. We've forgotten what it means to serve. And what happens is, is uh, we come to a place where it's really so much about me and Jesus is so much about me that we don't have a healthy fear of the Lord. The scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so there needs to be a natural healthy fear of the Lord. Look, hell is real. <gasps> he did not just say that with his lips. Yes, I did. <laughs> Look, there is a great risk and there's a great reward by how we use our mouths in this life. And, and our children need to know, look, hell is real. I'm not trying to scare you into heaven. I want you to know the love of God, and that should be what draws you to this place. But you also should have a healthy fear of the Lord. Pastors who call themselves ministers of the gospel and marry homosexuals, no, 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 no. There is no fear of the Lord in that. Someone who looks instead of 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 forgiveness for sins, and they look instead for sin to be condoned and accepted, it's not okay. It's not okay, men. Because there's one way that brings life, and there's another way that brings death. And the only one that brings life is through Christ himself. And people say, well, we're all forgiven in Christ. If you're in Christ, right. But he says, if you love me, you'll what? Do what I say. And don't think that Christ is not in the Old Testament. Go study the Lagos and some other things. Here's the truth. We have to establish our heart in a place of being willing to repent and being willing to restore. So we don't repent because we're no, we, we no longer have a healthy fear of God, a healthy fear of death. Right? It's, something, it's a portal we'll all go through at some point in time as far as this life. And so what, what we do is, is we began to establish and we began to thank God for the forgiveness that we have. We begin to confess the sin that's in our life. And as we do that, what happens? We live a life of repentance. I'm not talking about penitence. You don't have to throw money in the plate. You can if you want. All right. But that's not what I'm talking about this morning. I'm, I'm talking about this as a way to establish your heart. And so, so it's a good, good time for us to learn what repent and, and, and what that means in our lives and the importance thereof. And as we do that, he begins to restore our heart. And part of the ways that I've learned to repent is, is really looking at David and how David repented, how, how David asked for a clean heart and how he, he understood what it meant to lay down or, or be laid down beside still waters or quiet waters. In other words, give me a place where my heart can be restored. Show me the error of my ways, O Lord. Teach me thy commandments. You see, like all things in God, my goal is to get myself in God's restoring presence. That's what King David did. I want to establish my heart in the word of God. I want to hear what he has to say about me, not necessarily what the world had to say about me. George Foreman, he had to start training again, right? He had been eating from the grill way too long. And, and it made him a lot of money. But it didn't train him for any fight. And we must reestablish men many times our own workout program. And we must be restored. You know, we have to labor in it many times. We have to work at it. The problem with Scripture so many times is it is laborious. If you're in Leviticus right now and you're reading all the laws, you're like, ugh. Now, there's some great messages come out of Leviticus as well. But you've got to ask God, hey, God, give me the insight that I need to see for me today. In your word, not in my words. See, many times we simply train on Sunday and Tuesday, but God wants us to train every day. The best athletes that are out there don't just train two days a week, right? Those two days are very important because they're with the coaches. They're very important days. 
right? But coaches give you what? Tools to train throughout your life. So you got to be ready. You got to be diligent. Um, and as you do that, as you begin to, to work through that, you've got to be restored. And that's why I believe we're given days and not years. One day could have been a year, but that's not how God designed it. Every day has its challenges of its own, but it also has a freshness of its own. It has an opportunity of its own daily. Dr. James Richards, he's a, a guy, an author that I really like to, to read. And when I say Dr. James Richards, let me just say this. He's not a theologian. He's a medical doctor. He's a medical professional, but he's written some stuff that's really helped set me free in my own life. And one of the things that he said, he said, uh, he took a year off. Now I know we, we men, come on. Do we have any doctors in here? I don't know. Oh yeah. Well, we, yes, we do, but okay. I have to be careful with what I say. Most of us don't have the finances take a year off. He took a year off from doing anything, and this was what he did, to meditate on love, on the power of God's love. And he's a powerful man. And he refused to have relationships that were not affirming or loving for one year. <laughs> Doggone, I have cut the church out. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Come on, man. Wake up. But he did that. He literally took one year to only have affirming relationships and only be, uh, and, and only give love for that entire year. It changed his heart. It's an, it, it's an incredible thing. It's an incredible example, men, of someone who's really saying, I'm going to put myself in the presence of the Lord and I'm going to watch what he'll do with my heart because he understood that out of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat of its fruit. You'll either love life or you will love death. Number three or two. I don't know what number it is. Two. Thank you. All right. Let's talk about meditation for just a minute. Meditation is very similar to restoration, but a little bit different in the sense that meditation is when you start memorizing, when you start really sinking, letting that word sink inside of your heart. Uh, Psalm 1914. Meditation is used all throughout scripture. It's, it's like the second or third most used word in scripture. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable, acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You see, David understood what it meant to meditate on God's word. And meditate means to remember. It means to remind yourself. It means to dwell on. It means to look over. It means to build an altar, to camp in that area for a while. That's what meditation is. If you think about uh, some of our forefathers like Abraham, right? Abraham would oftentimes build an altar. That altar was to remind him that he needed to take time to meditate, to stand there, to dwell on, right? To camp in that area for a while. Some of us need to build a campsite where we go and sit and meditate and hear from the Lord himself. Many of you have that, many don't, but it becomes a very important place for your growth in God and what his purpose is for your life. Number four, three, <laughs> I didn't number them. I just thought that I was close. All right, guys, just stay with me. All right. Meditation is a choice. It's going to be a choice. Let my meditation be pleasing to him. Psalm 104, as for me, I shall be glad in the Lord for he is my choice. 
I shall be, which actually means a choice. I'm going to make a choice to meditate. I'm not going to sit here and dwell on the negative. I can dwell on the negative, but I'm not, but what will that do? It'll lead me to a place of depression. You are in control. Either you will establish yourself in life or establish yourself in death this day. So I don't know if that even needs to be a different point than the third, second point could be the fourth point. But the next point is this. Set a guard over your mouth. I did put that in bold. Set a guard over your mouth. You know, a good guard for your mouth is children. If you don't have any, get out there and fetch you up some. All right? They, they help when they're in your presence. You notice that because children help you clean it up. Or they'll tell you how it is. They'll ask you why you, you said what you said, why you did what you did, why you threw what you threw, especially that big fit right in front of them. My wife, yesterday she calls me, I've left. I'm headed up here and she calls and she's like, oh, uh, Bethany's down, you know, she's working at Slosky's and they need this paperwork from her and uh, it's in the file. Curtis, can you turn around and go get it real quick and meet me at Kimbrough? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So I, I come flying back in there. I'm, I run in there and the file's right there and it's an accordion file. If y'all know what those are, got years of stuff in it. You know, the accordion was this big when we bought it. It's this big now because we have 15 kids anyway. So I reached out, I grabbed the handle and I swing around and it goes, whoo. I mean, from before my bed, over my bed, all the way around. And I was like, Jesus, this didn't just happen to me, did it? I mean, I'm supposed to be at work. So you know what my wife said when she got home? She said, look like somebody threw a fit. <laughs> I said, no, I just threw everything on accident, I promise. Anyway, help me. Because I didn't want to put it all back in there because she has certain ways. She knows where it goes. Guys, I just had to leave a mess. Let's keep going. <laughs> but we have to set a guard over our mouth. Things like that are going to happen. You're going to grab an accordion file and it's going to fling everything. You're going to have to guard your mouth. You're going to have to guard your lips against your wife, against yourself. You know, because my first question was, why did you not latch this? That's a statement <laughs> and a question. So we got to set a guard. Psalm 141.3 says this, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing to practice deeds of wickedness with men who do iniquity and do not let me eat their delicacies. This is where we come up with the, the term pause, ponder, and pray. Learn to take some time. Learn to ponder on those things. Learn to pray about them because as you do this, you become more familiar with his word, men. You'll become more familiar because what's going to begin to bubble up in you is not your words. As you take time to pause and to ponder, you're going to start searching in your heart for what does God have to say about this? What does his word have to say? And you're going to become more and more familiar the more you do this. This is a practice every one of us needs to hear. Pause, ponder, and pray. We say it a lot, and this helps us to guard our mouth. You know, yesterday I came upstairs. Uh, yesterday afternoon, about 5 o'clock, I get out the door. I go out my office door, and I hear, deep, deep, deep. And I'm like, what in the world is that? And we got a microwave going off in this place. What? So I'll come through here and I'm like, what, what am I hearing? It's getting louder. And I go around there and the lights flashing in the hallway. I realized somebody set the alarm while I was down in the basement. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just saying, here's the truth. I was unfamiliar with it because that hasn't happened very often. The more familiar we are with God's word, the more when the first time we hear that signal, we go, 
I know what that is. I know what he's speaking. I know, I know why that light's flashing. I know what's taking place. See, James 3 says this, For every species of beasts and birds and reptiles of creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Look, that's why we need to put a guard over our mouth and we need to become familiar with God's Word. Number 10. I think this is my last one. It's in bold anyway. Oh, well, let me say one more thing about number whatever it is, five through nine or whatever. Uh, hold your desire to react until it becomes a response. Listen to understand instead of listening to reply. I say this a lot. This is our problem with our culture today. We're always listening to reply instead of listening to understand. So, so I just I thought of that yesterday afternoon when I was going over this and I threw that in there. Listen to understand instead of listen to reply. Okay, here we go. Number six. Learn to agree, or number five. What number are y'all on? Let's say number five, all right? Number five, learn to agree with the Word. Because when you agree with the Word of God, you're agreeing with God. It's not always easy. Many times it's more direct than what we want. We live in a a very watered-down way of the way we say things, but God doesn't. It's black and white. It's yes or no. And this is how it works, right? So when when we think about this, I believe that it should lead us to a place of prayer because when we learn to pray God's word, what happens is we're learning to agree with God and what he says, not only about us, but about the world and those that we are participating in this world while we're here with them. What to pray over them, have accountability partners, find someone, call someone, have someone speak truth into your life and have someone speak the word of God in your life. Too many have friendship partners. Too many of us have, well, this guy's kind of an accountability partner. No, is there somebody who can give you the Word of God, who can ask you directly, is this what the Word of God says uh, in this situation? Is this how he speaks? And then learn to agree with that. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That word there, Hold fast, the, the spoken word, homologia, it means to, to grab a hold of that and learn to agree with it. Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. If you want to have faith, there's an origin and it comes from God. It comes from his word. This is the importance of having his word in us. Hebrews 4, 2, for good news came to us just as to them, but the message, the word they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who would listen. Did you hear that? The word was of no benefit because they didn't agree with you. They didn't agree with the word of God. If we don't agree with the word of God, it's going to be of no benefit to you. And so this is an important thing. We've got to learn to agree with God. Man, that's what I have for us this morning. Look, you can establish your life today in Christ through the words of your mouth, through the confession of your heart, Romans 10, 9, Romans 10, 10. My son calls every Saturday. He can't have his phone until Saturday afternoon. And, and it was funny because he said, Dad, I, I got to lead like two, three people to Jesus this week. It was so awesome. And, uh, you know, if we just take time to memorize Romans 10, 9 and 10, 10, I'm like, I know, son. Have I not told you that in the past? He said, I don't think you ever said it. I said, I said it every day. She's going to listen to your daddy anyway. So uh, fun conversation, but you know, those types of confessions, those types of memorizations, they'll just carry on and they'll be life to others because in your mouth holds the power of life 
and death. There are some questions for you in front of you this morning. Uh, feel free to go over those um, with your tables. Thank you for being with us.